The following presentation was recorded at the Newbury Buddhist Monastery, Victoria, Australia. Please visit our website at nbm.org.au. Okay, so let me introduce myself and my name is Bante Chunda and um, I've been supporting Newbury Buddhist Monastery and VSV for, I lost track already, but roughly six years. So this is my six years back here again. And we just got in and arrived just in time before lockdown started. So we arrived about just over a week, a week and a half ago. Yes. Yes. So, um, um, so I've been, um, originally born in Malaysia and, um, I moved to Malaysia when I was about roughly 12 years old. And, um, I came across Buddhism when I was working up in the mines and got really interested in uh, Buddhist practice uh, and especially meditation. And uh, later on, I um, ordained in um, when I was about 20, 33 uh, in Bodhiyan Monastery. I've been a monk for roughly 12 years, um, a trainee for one and a half years, and a novice monk for two years. And this will be my 10th reign. Um, beginning of this Vasala, so I should have 10 reigns as a fully ordained monastic. So, um, yeah, so people can actually start calling me Ajahn, but I'm, all, I'm, I'm pretty easy. If people call me Bante or Venerable, I'm happy. Yes, yes. But Ajahn is just a, um, in, in the Thai, Thai forest angle, Ajahn is usually given to someone that's 10 years in reigns or a teacher. Yeah, but I'm happy if people just call me Bante. I have to keep things simple. Hmm, okay. Um yeah, so um so after the Dharma talk, um yeah, so people are welcome to have any question and answer. So the Dharma talk would be roughly an hour. Hmm. So today's topic uh, will be good. I talk about about the um yeah, the Buddhist practice as a, as a Buddhist monk, especially I've survived 10 years practicing as a, as a Buddhist monk. Mm-hmm. Actually, actually 12 years, if I include two years as a novice. So, um, yeah, so practicing as a Buddhist monastic is a bit of a challenge. And um, you see, we don't have a lot of um, monastic in um, Bodhiyana monastery. They make it as a um, as an Ajahn. Um, because the ratio, um, when I first joined the monastery in Bodhiyana, it used to be about um, 10 to 1. So you see about only one monastic to make it to 10 reigns. But over time, the monastery have grown and we have uh, proper accommodation and things have become more relaxed. So the ratio now is about maybe 1 to one to 5, yep, or maybe less than that. So a lot more people are making uh making up to ten years in, in um in, in range. Uh, yeah. The draw rate used to be quite low, uh, one to ten, uh, but now it roughly it's about one to one to five. Uh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I may have made it. Uh, um I've survived being um been a monastic for twelve years. Uh. Mm-hmm. That's really good. Uh. But I remember in the early days there's always a lot of challenge. Uh. The genus of um coming to um stay in the monastery as a layperson um, and see if I can cope with um, being away from my family. Yeah? 
Um, but it was easier le, because I was away from my family quite a lot le, when I was working up in the mines for about eight years. Uh, I can't remember how long. Uh, it was a few years ago, le, but um, eight years. Uh, so staying up in the mines, flying the fly out, le, it was a bit of a challenge because um, I spent a lot of time by myself and um, I didn't really want to associate with too many people uh, in, in the workplace uh, um, because they wasn't keeping the five precepts uh, and a lot of, have a lot of bad habits. Uh, and um, yeah, so um, having a lot of time to practice as a layperson working up the lines uh, was quite um, quite um, a good experience. Uh. So I also have that train, that um, training, understanding, keeping away from um, from friends and also from families so um, later on i they asked to ordain at bodhiyan monastery and ajapan accepted me to ordain there so i was ordained when i was about 33 uh, in bodhiyan monastery i did my training there for um for five years and before coming to newbury to support this place yep so um yeah so i've been coming back and forward um every every year since um coming here and support the monastery yeah, yeah. and also the Buddhist idea of Victoria so please excuse me yeah, because I got a slight sore throat yeah. and um, I think because I've been working quite a bit out in the weather here and uh, getting used to the cold weather here um, yeah so in the morning it, sometimes it, the temperature can drop down to about 4 degrees yeah, and it rains quite a, a lot yeah. so most of the monks and the um um, late guests are staying here. Sometimes we are required to do a lot of work, yeah? but sometimes it, it rains in the morning and afternoon too. Yeah? So um, yeah, so we do do a lot of work outdoor, yeah? uh, wearing um, rain jackets and stuff. Yeah? But something we cannot manage is just um, just the weather, yeah? because um, we try and get a mustings as done as possible before the wasps start. Yeah? And recently we have the storm damage, yeah? so a lot of trees fell down the monastery and quite a, some of the buildings was damaged yeah. but luckily not, not a lot of damage yeah. so we did a lot of work outdoor yeah. so uh, I think I managed to get myself a slight cold yeah. but my health is really good I tend to recover very quickly yeah. anyway I hope it's not a virus <laughs> but I, I still have taste uh, and I too, can still smell yeah. so uh, I don't think it's a virus <laughs> okay so going back to um the monastic practice yeah. So the Buddhists say, yeah, um, these are the three hardest things to do la, as a monastic. One is leaving the world to enjoy its hunger. La. Two is um, being happy yeah, um, in the monastic life. Uh, and three is keeping the 227 rules uh, and practicing um, the Sutta and the Vyanaya. La. So these are the three hard, hardest things to do as a monastic. Yeah. So it is true that for first leaving the monastery was quite I mean sorry leaving lay life was quite difficult uh, because um, as a uh, lay person uh, there was always a lot of contact with my family and friends uh, so when I first joined the monastery uh, that was a big adjustment to be made uh, coming to the monastery uh, so I did my first um, two year and a half uh, training as as a white person dressing in white clothes as an anigarika so it's it's a phase before you staying in the monastery full time for a year, dressed in white, doing cooking, driving, and the different work in the monastery. 
And so you, you shave your head and just wear white on the ear and you keep the um, the eight preceptor and um, basically not eating um, and um, the, the five preceptor and I'm not wearing um, perfumes, um, um, like things like jewelries and, and watches. Uh, so uh, those are the eight preceptor and sleeping on, on a high luxurious bed. Uh, or chairs, uh, sitting on chairs. So I was like, so those, those are the eight preceptor when I was practicing as a, as a trainee in, in Bodhian Monastery. So it's quite difficult uh, when you're practicing it as in as a lay person in the beginning. I think the hardest time I find was um, away from my friends and especially my family. Uh, and I stay in the forest quite often uh, because uh, when, you, when we, we ordain as a novice monk, uh, um, we stay in the Kuti, a small monk's hut, and usually we spend about maybe mostly up to about 20 hours or 18 hours by ourselves in the forest in a little Kuti. And during the Wasa, maybe we must spend maybe one hour or even half an hour with, with, with the community, the Sangha. So uh, that's one thing I got you. It was a bit hard to um, get used to, but luckily, um, I did have some good meditation as a layperson, so that did help me a lot. And ordaining as a monastic, so I did tell myself once my once my meditation improved as a layperson, I'll go and ordain as a monastic straight away. But I did ask, and my parents say no, um, twice, and um, and I asked again a third time, and they say, look, even if you ask. Um, three times that the answer is no, uh, while they're still alive. Uh. So I say, well, in that case, uh, I'll go ahead and ordain uh, as a monastic. Uh, I'm not going to wait for my parents to pass away. Uh, because who knows, maybe I might pass away before my parents did. Uh. So after the um, third time, uh, I, I went and ordained. So I waited for 10 years and asked, and my parents said no. And I asked again, I say, well, can I ordain after another 10 years? And I say no. So I say, okay, I'll go ahead and ordain. <laughs> mm. So uh, leaving the world is also quite difficult. Um, spend a lot of time in the monastery. But after a while, you do adjust uh, to the monastic life. Uh. But being, hap- being happy, happy happily in the monastic is also something that is quite a bit of a challenge. Uh. Mm. Because the Buddha say, uh, leaving the world is hard. But being happy as a monastic is also very hard because when you stay in the monastery, um, it is quite difficult to um, to wear the robe, um, to live quite simply, have a, a small monk's kuti in the, in the forest, uh, and learning the um, the two hundred and twenty seven precepts as a monastic. So it's a, there's a lot of um, um, don't uh, things that you cannot do, things that you can do. Uh. So that sometimes for um, lay people, uh, they might find there's a lot of restriction. Uh, so a lot of lay people don't ordain as a monastic. They find it's too restricted. Uh. So being a monastic, uh, it's almost like being in lockdown uh, for your whole life uh, because uh, there is a lot of things you can't really do. Uh. Um, you can't use money. Uh, you can only have one meal a day. Um, so if we work, we have breakfast in the morning and then we have lunch uh, then after midday, we don't eat anything. But we allow things like cheese and chocolate uh, in the evening uh, just to um, stop the um, the hunger. Uh, because we call this medicine for the body. Uh, so tea and coffee is allowable in the evening. Mm. 
So uh, yeah, with the restriction, it's, it's not easy. And the other restriction we have is um, we're not meant to be alone by self with the op- op- opposite gender. So all monastic, we're not allowed to be alone with another female um, person in a room. So I think that is a really good rule to um, to follow because that tends to um, um, lessen the defilements of the mind. Because in some religious um, um, groups, uh, I'm not going to mention what groups they are, but if they don't keep this kind of um, practice, then it can lead to a lot of um, um, sexual abuse. And in some religions, that do happen if the monastics are not careful. So um, they tend to lose a lot of faith for the lay people, and then people don't um, trust the monastic. So I'm really glad that the um, that the that um, Lord Buddha saw this defilements that will rise in the monastic in the future. So they. So he did make a ruler, a part of the training rules that a monastic should not be alone with another female by itself. So no one-on-one interaction. Yep. So you see um, the, the harm and the um, disappointment in some of the religion in the world. But luckily in Buddhism, we kept that rules 2,500 years since the Buddha passed away. Yeah, so the 220 rules, uh, is, it leads to the, the growth and the fate of the lay people and the, um, and the ease and the welfare of the monastic. And also, um, it enhances the practice. Uh, because once these rules uh, are practiced by the monastic, uh, it leads to a lot, lot the happiness of, and the ease of practice. Uh, but also the strength of so, strength of samadhi and the wisdom will arise in the future yeah yeah so this practicing rules is quite important and the the third hard, hardest thing the buddha say for monastic to do is to keep the 27 rules and develop so samadhi and, and the wisdom yeah and also to uh this to, to understand the four noble truth and to practice the um eightfold path yeah so um uh, so being a monastic is quite difficult, uh, fine. Um, when you practice, um, I mean, I've been practicing for like 12 years now, uh, being a monastic, uh, and I, I never find it easier. It always gets harder and harder, especially the more the longer I stay in Rome. But as long as the monastery is kept simple and the monastic have time to practice, uh, especially during the Vassal. Uh, because during, outside the Vassal, we do a lot of work uh, in building, in teaching, uh, and um, basically in um, um, doing service to to our lay supporters. As I find that I become more and more senior, like we, the monastery are required to do more service to the um, to the monastery. We require to do more duties. And um, yeah, then time, time to practice is less. Because as a junior monk, as a novice and a junior monk, we don't really do, do so, too much work. But after... Five reigns, we are required to do more responsibility. And after 10 reigns, we have to do more teaching and support the other branch monastery. But I've been coming here for the first um, six years because there was hardly anyone um, coming over. And in Bodhiyana Monastery, there was a lot of work that was required. So, um, yeah, so Ajahnbra asked the monks to volunteer to come here to practice. I mean, to practice also to support this place. So yeah, so that is one of the requirements uh, as a senior monk now uh, to um, just do more service uh, and more practice. Uh. 
and no more basically more service and support uh, to the other branch monastery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, practicing this A four path uh, is very important uh, because as a monastic uh, sealer of virtue is very important. So the more we practice, uh, we practice the higher virtue, then um, the samadhi is the higher mind of meditation. Then Panya or wisdom is a high wisdom that lead to peace, bliss and enlightenment. Yeah. Yeah, I remember the early days as a monastic and a lay person. It was quite difficult. Um apparently my first um Buddhist teacher wasn't Ajahn Brown. It was um um two groups of uh, Buddhist nuns. So this group this group of these two um Groups of Buddhist nuns. One was from um, Singapore. And she was my first Buddhist nun teacher when I was a, when I was a lay person. So I I took the three refuse and the five precepts um, from her. So yeah. So um, just to let the um, people know that my first Buddhist teacher wasn't Andrew Brown. Was a Buddhist nun from Singapore. So I always have a debt of gratitude um, for the um, for the fully ordained bhikkhunis, uh, yeah, because they, they taught me a lot, uh, and they, they taught me to um to have a happy mind uh, and a pure heart. Uh. And my, my first Buddhist um, teacher uh, um, was a Maya nun uh, from Singapore. Uh. She taught me that uh, you must develop a loving heart uh, and practice loving kindness. Mm. But also, um, I did look on the internet, uh, and Ajahn Brown was also good at teaching med- uh, loving kindness meditation. Uh, so I, I came across Ajahn Brown through the internet and reading books, uh, especially books and also tapes that uh, Ajahn Brown gave. Uh, mm. So sorry for my uh, uh, my my voice. I have a slight sore throat. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. So my Buddhist teacher, uh, she told me that I'm a good person. But I have to be careful who I hang around. So she told me that I must learn to associate with good people. So um, yeah, so that's one thing. One thing she taught me, taught me is to associate with good people, because that way I learn off their um, um, their good qualities and their behavior, and it also enhance my um, my um, my sealer and also um, my, my happiness because. Up in the minds of associating with um a lot of people they did not keep um five five precepts properly yeah? or drink a lot and just gossip a lot and have a lot of rough speech yeah? so that actually made me quite depressed yeah? but when I become a Buddhist a lay Buddhist um associating with the um Buddhist uh, practitioner and good people it actually helped me to uh, become a happier person yeah? mm. but after practicing as a lay person for years and ordaining in Bodhiyana Monastery Ajahn Brown. Yeah? Being a novice monk, um, I did have a lot um difficulty with the with the sangha there because um there was a lot of men there up, up to about maybe in the community um up to about twenty men so when you have so many men together and they're all struggling on the um being a Buddhist Buddhist um, monk and practicing in a training monastery there's always a lot of friction. It can be can be quite competitive, uh, so a lot of monks don't make it. Uh, so a lot of people do this role uh, within uh, from the first to ten years. Uh, so I've seen a lot of monastic this, this role uh, and I lost a lot of friends. Uh, but these days the monastery is a bit more comfortable, uh, so uh, the dropout rate is less. Uh, 
Um, yeah, so being a Manasseh, it can be very competitive, I noticed with the Sangha. So I did ask Ajahn Brown, I said, the Sangha is, is, is quite, it's not what I expected. And Ajahn Brown told me that this is a training monastery, so please don't look at other people so much, just take care of your own practice. And that's true, so I have to learn to um, let look at people less and take care of my own practice. But one time we have a Buddhist conference and I met my um, my my teacher when I was a layperson. She came to one, one of the conferences. There was both of them. And I told her that, oh, being a monastic in training as a junior monk is very, very difficult. Because I asked to do so many duties. And sometimes the... Um, the middle monks or junior monks will pick on me yeah, and bully me yeah, and just get me to do extra duties and get me to wash a lot of bowls and boss me around the place. <laughs> and I told my teacher, uh, this is not, not what I expected. Like, I thought that we have, have a lot of loving kindness. Uh, and my teacher told me, no, they say, Junda, please don't look at other people. Like. Don't look at other people. Please don't look at other people. Look at your own heart. Like. Take care of your own practice, take care of your own mind, and take care of your heart, uh, and uh, develop a lot of good qualities. Uh. And I find that was a very good advice uh, coming from my teacher, uh, because she's been a, a nun for 20 plus years, uh, and I've been helping a lot of um, lay people, uh, and she does give a lot of te- teaching. Uh, so I have a lot of really lot of respect uh, for my two first um, um, Buddhist, duly ordained Buddhist nuns. Uh, so they did really teach me uh, to really take care of my heart uh, and take care of my mind and to always purify the mind and always to always, when things go downhill, uh, to really don't look at people too much uh, and look at my own practice. Yep. So they, they really taught me to uh, develop a pure heart uh, and pure mind. Uh. So I think one that's one reason why my meditation improved quite a lot. Uh. Because Brown really taught me meditation. Uh, as for um, my lay teachers, when I was a lay person, um, these are fully ordained Buddhist nuns. They, uh, they do a lot of service uh, and they teach a lot of uh, metal and service and, and um, kindness. So when I was a lay person, my, my, um, as a lay person, my, my lay teachers, my Buddhist fully ordained nuns, they taught me to basically just always be aware, um, practice meditation, uh, a lot of my uh, loving kindness uh, and also um, take care of my heart, uh, wash my heart very carefully uh, and be uh, be very mindful uh, to know that the defilements do not rise from one's heart and mind uh, because when we maintain a pure heart uh, then the five precepts is easy to practice uh, because when the um, defilements are strong in one's heart uh, then you see these five precepts can be broken easily uh, so you see the result of the world uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, so these are was the two really good advice from my my um um my put my Buddhist teacher like, when I was a lay person and also when I ordained as a as a monastic. Mm-hmm. So looking after one's heart like, and mind like, and knowing oneself, like, the in- internal awareness is very important because when you brighten the mind, when the when when there's a lot of dark- darkness in the heart, like, it's very important. Like, because when you develop mindfulness, giving the precept and the meditation, you develop the one pointiness of mind that lead to calm and stillness. And also the mindfulness becomes stronger. 
So one of the benefits I find practicing as a as a monastic and a lay person is the practice on loving kindness meditation. So this is what the Buddha taught. There is eleven benefits in practicing loving kindness meditation. So these are the eleven. One sleep more comfortably. So when you do loving kindness a lot, you sleep well. And the second benefit is one uh, wake up comfortably. So sometimes I find that you do have developed a lot of metal. Your mind becomes calm and peaceful easily. And when you wake up, you wake up very calm and peaceful. And for some practitioners that have met, they practice a lot of loving kindness. They told me when they sleep, the mind naturally goes quite peacefully. Because when they practice loving kindness a lot, through meditation, you get the calm and the peace arise. And the mind becomes very radiant and bright. So instead of having a, a dark mind, the mind is, is, is just brightened up. So these are the radiant mind. So when they told me when they sleep, the mind becomes radiant. And when they wake up early in the morning, the mind becomes quite radiant too. So naturally, for um, someone that practices a lot of loving kindness, the mind can be very radiant. So sometimes they describe to me that when they sleep, the mind becomes so bright. It's like a, there's like a light in the mind where they cannot sleep properly. I say, it's okay, just learn to let go and enjoy that. The mind will let, you know, less, will naturally just, just go, go into sleep. But when they describe, when they wake up in a dark room, they, they find that the mind is quite radiant. Like wherever they look, it's, it's not darkness, it's brightness. I say, yeah, that's good. So it, it shows well that when you practice a lot of loving kindness, that happens naturally. <laughs> And also, the third benefit is one do not have evil dreams. So yeah, it's true. So persons that practice loving kindness, they don't have bad dreams. They don't have nightmares. They dream of nice things. They dream from nice places. So yeah. So when I was, when I stay in the monastery, even myself, when I was um, during staying for the having retreats or during the wassela, sometimes I dreams of flying. Um, flying around the place, uh. so it was quite nice. Uh. You you, free, you dream you're quite free uh, and very happy, uh. and dreams are quite interesting uh, as a monastic. Uh. So um, yeah, so you dream of really nice place. Uh. And when I went home to visit my family, um, in in the um, early days as a monastic, when I came back to the monastery, I have really weird dreams. Uh. So one time I dreamed that I went, I was walking with my mum. And one time I saw this person standing up in the tall building, yeah, and this young person jumped off uh, from the from the tall building and basically committed suicide. Then I look at the the, the young person that fell down on the building. Yeah, basically, it's just um, yeah, it's just almost like a super image. Yeah. Then I wake up uh, at night and go, wow, that was a really weird dream. But when I reflected the dream, what the dream. Um, taught me was basically going to visit uh, my family. It was nice. Uh, so time to time, the monastic do visit our family. Um, yeah, so the attachment arise in my heart uh, from my family and, and, and remind me a lot of the, the lay life. Uh, it was quite comfortable, uh, especially for um, attachment to my family, but also the five senses, seeing how comfortable lay life was. Uh, but after that, when going back to the monastery, yeah, the first few days 
there's a lot of strange dreams that come up la. and that was one of the strange dream going 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 shopping my mum and seeing someone committing suicide so what that's um reflected in my mind was seeing that lay life was good la, but it will lead to a lot of suffering yeah, because the mind will get reborn again and again and again and the whole things with the worldly suffering yeah, and the attachment will rise mm-hmm. yeah so dreams are quite interesting yeah yeah i'll talk more about dreams later on okay so one is dear to human beings so when you practice a loving kindness you see people are drawn to a, a kind person and one is it's also dear to non-human beings that can also um includes animals because in body animal street the monks have been there for so long you see we walk past and the kangaroos just look at us and just look at us and sometimes we come over and ask for, for food but normally we we not we don't really encourage um people to feed their can- the kangaroos because they can get too aggressive aggressive but sometimes in summer and if there's not much grass around sometimes we just give them some small amount of food and um um a person who practices loving kind of meditation especially monastic is uh, protected by davis yeah mm, i don't know that's true yeah maybe yes i think i say in the monster long enough there's a lot of interesting things that happen yes so um you see i believe that you see the higher beings if there's um good practicing um um, monastic and they practice a lot of loving kindness uh, yeah you see um they are protected uh, by higher beings uh, because i believe that in lay life we get a lot of lay supporters but sometimes when the lay people pass away uh, and reborn in the higher planes uh, um there they do continue to support the monastic uh, but sometimes it's quite interesting yeah uh, sometimes when something that's needed in the monastery um we'll think about it and sometimes support will just come out from nowhere uh, but sometimes I find it's quite interesting being a monastic. Yeah. Sometimes we need something. I was thinking about it quite quite a lot. Yeah. Then a week later, yeah, someone brought something that we needed in the monastery. Yeah. Then I was going, that is pretty interesting. Yeah. I didn't really ask for it. Yeah. And later on, they arise. Yeah. I go, mm, that's quite interesting. Yeah. But also we have supporters that stay in the monastery. Yeah. And they say that sometimes if the meditation is doing well and they're walking around then they notice a really bright light moving around in the in the monastery and they ask me ah oh, pante is is the monastery haunted and i go mm, what do you mean by that i say describe to me what you see and they say sometimes you see a really bright light in the monastery and they look around then they look back and they disappear i go oh, that's quite normal because from what i understand from um they people are also monastic when they stay in the monastery during the opposite the night uh, the full moon night yeah or when um after a dharma talk is given by Ajahn Brown or any of the monks sometimes lay people report reported to the monastic they see in this really bright light moving around the monastery so i say this is really normal you see um the higher beings will come to the monastery and to listen to the dharma talk so these things do happen but we, we rarely talk about it and also the seventh benefit is uh, one person that's practice loving kindness uh, fire poison sword uh, will not hurt or touch that person um i don't know about fire poison uh, or weapons uh, but all i know is sometimes if someone enter 
very deep meditation, especially jhana meditation in the fourth jhana, if there's a bushfire of, of a flood, that person actually is protect, protected. And we heard of cases of monks where they um been through um flooding and they came out of a flooding and they, they, they were fine. Somehow there's a force field around that person. Also a fire during the Buddhist time, they found this monk that was... um. They thought it was dead, so they they put it onto a uh, a pile of sticks to cremate the person. And they set the fire up, and the next day, um, they saw this monk walking on Bindabhala. So they they go, wow. They they thought it was a ghost, but it's actually a person that was still alive. So so monks can actually be protected in the meditation if there's a fire. But one thing I do know is um. If you do practice a lot of loving kindness, you see if you get sicker, you tend to recover quite rapidly. So one time I went to India and some of my um, monks and also lay people got a lot of injection for the vaccine. And uh, when they went to, to um, the pilgrimage in India, oh, I think um, two of the monks that was there were sick for like the whole trip. And when they come back, uh, they were even sick for one month. Uh, and I didn't take any vaccine when I went for the India trip, and I was only sick for one day. And normally, what I find that if I do get sicker, I tend to recover quite rapidly. So I got this sore throat for the last two days, but today I seem I might recover. I feel a lot better. But I find that if I talk too much, then the sore throat gets worse. So I find that as more I talk, then it gets worse. So I apologize for my um for my um. No clear voice at the moment. <laughs> and the the eight benefit of loving kind of meditation. One's mind become calm and concentrated quickly. Yeah. So I don't use the I don't like to use the word calm. I like to use the word stillness and peace quickly. So yeah, that's that's one benefit. I find even I practice loving kindness meditation. If I get frustrated or irritated or angry, yeah. If I do more metal, then I find the meditation become calm and peaceful quite easily. And from lay people and monastic, I know that I practice a lot of loving kindness. Yeah, I see the result with them. They can get meditation, deep meditation quite easily due to loving kindness. Because loving kindness, you learn to develop that emotion of peace, joy, happiness, and also letting go. Because when we're calm, when we're happy, we bring out this emotion of peace and happiness, uh, just like what the Metta Sutta has chanted. Uh, we let things go. We let things go, go easily uh, because we know that as a lay, lay person in lay life, it is quite difficult, uh, even with uh, the, the lockdown and people are losing their job. Uh, and people are, they do have a lot of fear and anxiety. Uh, but same in the monastery, uh, when you have new people training up uh, as monastic, uh, they are still learning. Uh, and when you have a lot of men together, like you can compete, come become quite competitive. But so I, I noticed I'm in the mines was quite competitive. Then when I went to join the monastery, I feel like the same thing was happening too. Like it can be quite competitive and aggressive. So when that happened, we must learn to develop a lot of forgiveness and develop loving kindness. And also one of the benefit of loving kindness, it also enhances meditation. The mind becomes calm and peaceful quite easily. But also the the um, ninth benefit uh, is the the person's 
face becomes quite serene and quite relaxed. So um, so one time I noticed a person that's always angry, their face can become very fierce. But people that practice a lot of loving kindness, lay people in monastic, their face become quite serene. And things like wrinkles and, uh, and like wrinkles around the, 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 the eyes become less. So one thing I noticed, if I practice a lot of loving kindness, I, I have less wrinkle and my face becomes smoother. Mm, yeah. And the um, the death benefit of loving kindness meditation, when a person passes away or dies, or dies, he cannot um, die with fear or worry. Mm. That is quite true too. Because being a monastic, we do go to a lot of people that are dying in hospital or in very old age. And some are old supporters that are dying or in um, hospital, I notice when I go and visit them, they tend to be quite relaxed and quite at ease and quite happy. And they know that getting old uh, in the 80s or 90s and um, with sickness, they tend not to be too concerned or too worried. And most of the cases when we come and visit old supporters, they tend to be very happy to see a monastic. And they realize that getting older and getting sick and, and, and dying is, is just a, a aging process. And, and they realize through Dharma practice, as they get older and this body fall apart, it's just, it's just nature. And we, we will die and we will get reborn again and again. So taking care of the mind and the welfare of the mind is very important. That's why we, as a Buddhist practitioner, we put a lot of effort to um, develop the higher mind and purify the mind. That lead to a deep meditation. And we know this body will fall apart. We have to let go of this body sooner or later. So through the deep meditation, we let go of these five senses and we drop this body as much as possible. Because... Um, as we get older, there will be more pain and more sickness in this body. So if we can learn to let this body go early, please do so. Let it go. Don't carry this body around because it is quite a big burden as we get older. And as, as I know that, um, I get this soft roll. And if I go into meditation, I can actually drop it and manage to heal and recover. Then if I... If I don't drop the body, then I find that the, the irritation will get worse. But if I do drop that and rest more, then it can, tends to heal a lot faster. <laughs> yeah, and uh, the eleventh benefit is, yeah, if, if the person don't develop their practice deeper and penetrate into the Four Noble Truths, uh, that person may get reborn in the Brahma worlds. Uh. So, uh, yeah, so these are the eleventh uh, benefits uh, of loving-kindness meditation. Uh. So these are these eleven benefit, eleven benefits of loving contemplation. I find was very very practical uh, and quite benefit beneficial uh, in monastic life. Uh, because I know this Ajahn also practice a lot of loving kindness, uh, and he says sometimes if the meditation is not working, he just need to apply a lot of, a bit of loving kindness. Uh, then the meditation will come deeper. Uh, yep. And I find that with a lot of monastic and lay people too, those that practice loving kindness, they tend to have very good meditation and tends to um, do well as a monastic life. Because sometimes if people don't make it through in monastic life, you see there are some cause and conditions. One is if the meditation is not doing well, 
Two is they're not happy in monastic life. And the third reason, it does happen once in a while, that is, is if the practitioner start um, having um, um, lustful desires for the opposite gender. Uh, yeah, and you see it with monastic in all tradition. And that when that happens, some abusive behavior do happen. But sometimes some of the senior monks uh, um, that we know before, um, they've been enrolled for like 20 30, 40, even 40 years, and they, they tend to fall into that trap, uh, and this role, uh, and go off with some, some other person and get married. Uh. So, yeah. So, Ajahn Brown is not the first abbot of Bodhinyana Monastery. The first abbot of Bodhinyana Monastery was Ajahn Jagger uh, and later on, he did this role, uh, and uh, one of, we wanted to support her uh, and marry her. Uh. So, yeah, so that things do, monastic do fall into those traps. Uh. So that's why for most monastic, we try not to stay with the opposite gender alone too much, especially late, 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 our late female supporters. Because sometimes as a senior monk, when you um, become more senior, you tend to do more teaching and you more have more interaction with our female supporters. And sometimes it can be very sweet. And sometimes some of the... Um, Junior monks or even the senior monks can fall into that trap. Mm. Yeah, so also one thing as a monastic I notice um, is becoming more um, apparent is the eight whirling, early winds, eight condition of um, happiness and suffering, fame and be, no, be nobody, praise and blame gain and loss. So this um, apparently become more um, apparent being a monastic. Yeah, these eight wheelings we need to blow a, a lay person or monastic around. And if we're not careful, we can fall into this 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 eight wheeling condition. Hmm. It's quite interesting. But the simile is quite um the Buddha did keep a simile of the eight wheeling winds. It's like a tree if the tree is not grounded in in practice, in um, in sila, in samadhi and wisdom, these eight wheeling winds will blow a person around and topple that person. Because um, I mean, in the last less than a month ago, we did have very strong wind in Victoria, and a lot of the trees did collapse in, in Victoria, in, in the state forest. So when I came back to the monastery, I went walk, walk around and I noticed a lot of the really big trees that have basically toppled over and, um, and collapsed in, in the monastery. But until I noticed that a lot of the smaller trees have collapsed compared to the really large trees. The really large trees, some of the branches have um, broken off and fell down. And uh, in the central area, lucky some fell down, but did not damage the uh, the buildings. And luckily, it happened at night, yeah. So there's no one walking around the monastery when the trees and the branches came off. So the same thing what the Buddha say was, um, if if we're not grounded deeply in our in our, in our practice in sila and samadhi, then this eight really condition will blow the person down quite easily. So when this condition grows, we must really um, deepen our, our, develop our higher virtue, our um, samadhi, um, mindfulness and stillness of mind, 
and our seal, our panel wisdom. You know, these eight really conditions always come and blow us around. So happiness, we all like happiness. And sometimes when things happen, when it's good, well, we enjoy it. We know it won't last, this too will pass. And when suffering arises, well, lockdown happens, um, we lose support, a uh, lot of supporters will come, our donation drop, then we go into debt, la, or uh, we can't pay our bills, la. okay, great. La. Well, when lockdown happened, great, we have a quiet monastery, um, no, especially last year during the lockdown, it was great. La. Um, we did have a lot of um, free time to practice, and the monastery was very quiet. La. But well, a bit of suffering, yeah, because we didn't have so much donation come in. Okay, great. We don't, we don't, we don't spend so much money. Yeah. We can really cut down on our expenses and live very simply in the monastery. Yeah. <laughs> so we basically just cut down on everything yeah, as much as possible. Um, also, one the um, the condition is fame and uh, be nobody. Yeah. Well, I think when I become a a um, monastic yeah, and. As a trainee, I was basically just a nobody. It's great. <laughs> but as I came and support this place more and more, then, um, yeah, I get, you get a bit of fame. Oh, it's good to be um, um, in charge of this project in the beginning. But later on, I realized that, oh, if someone can do a better job, that's better if they do it. And as more and more senior months came, it's better if they take more responsibility. But as for myself, I always find that it's always good to share duties and responsibility out. Because in order to build our community, it's always good to share things out. So, um, yeah, so fame and be nobody, um, it don't really concern me. Because I find that sometimes when you, you get fame, it, it comes a lot of responsibility. And if you're not, not being nobody, it's even better. So you become free. You don't have to worry too much and you live a simple life. And um, also one of the conditions is uh, praise and blame. Well, I do admit that uh, I get to, I do get praise a lot uh, for things I, I never have done. I go, mm, I, don't, I get praise for things I've never done. But also the, the interesting thing is I get blamed for things I, have, I never have done too, uh, or things I have done. Uh, so this praise and blame, uh, does arise quite often uh, as a monastic and also as a layperson. So when then things come, uh, praise or blame, uh, we reflect on it, but we don't carry it in the heart. Uh, we let it go. Uh, we, we don't get concerned too much. Uh. And also the last con the, the last um, condition is gain and loss. Uh, so this is quite common. We get gain a lot and we, and we lose things a lot too. Uh. So uh, when we gain, well, it's good. When we gain, when we know it's not going to last too. Then we, when we lose things, we know that it's, it's normal. This, are the, this is life. This is, we born as a human, a human being. This eight willing condition will happen quite frequently. Hmm. But when it do happen a lot, one thing, the Buddha did give us a lot of simile on, on this condition. So the Buddha did say, always reflect on this condition. So he gave the simile of the lotus. The lotus is a flower that grows in mud. When the condition is right, the lotus will grow from the mud and it will bloom and it will be beautiful and yeah, beautiful flower. So this condition is a lotus can only grow in mud, dirty water. 
where is is just pretty disgusting. <laughs> so when when this eight condition arises, when we get blown around with suffering, we can go. We find refuge in our in our sila, in our samadhi, and in our wisdom. We go inwards into one's heart, into one's mind, and we develop wisdom, and we develop sila of um, the higher virtue, and we develop um, the mind, the higher mind and samadhi, then that leads to wisdom and understanding. So these are the um, the wisdom that must develop as a monastic. So we become an island to ourselves. So when we come to an island to ourselves, we spend our time by ourselves, especially meditation. We go internal. Yep, that leads to um, happiness and freedom. The mind that is attached from the, the eight worldly condition and through our senses. Yep. But also, this is also another simile yeah, that I, I I read in the in, in the internet, yeah, because um only when the um, darkest night yeah, it produces the brightest stars. Yeah. So sometimes in New Bray Buddhist Monastery, yeah, when the, when there's no full moon, when when there's no cloud, yeah, I look up in the sky, yeah, then I see the bright the brightest stars yeah, and the most beautiful stars yeah, when everything is dark. Yeah. So yeah, so. When the when the storm come, when the rain come, things will grow. Because without storm, without rain, plants will not grow. Yeah. So always look for the rainbow. Uh, yeah. When there's when there's storm, and when there is um strong winds, and and strong wind and rain, then yeah, things will grow. And become strengthen. Anyway, I think maybe I'll, I'll, I'll stop now, because I think my voice is getting worse if I talk too much. Okay, so I like to um, open the any questions, question answer, please. Thank you, Bundy, for the wonderful talk. We have received seven questions so far. Mm -hmm. So would you like to select or answer them or how do, would you prefer? Uh, okay, I think we'll just go by one by one, by one and see how much time we have. Sure, thank you very much. The first question, how does one use fear as a practice such as having the fear of seizures? Seizures, okay, seizures. Hmm. Okay, seizures. I may look into seizures too much, uh, but sometimes it is a um, genetic um, condition, and some people are born with this genetic condition. So, one of our senior monks, uh, his mom's got um, a seizure. Time to time, uh, it will happen, and um, when she goes out shopping and stuff, uh, her husband will always be very close by her, and she will sometimes wear. A, a helmet, so when she have a seizure, an epilepsy seizure, um, her husband will basically support him, support her, and make sure that she won't fall down and smack her head on, on on the table, on the floor, or on the cupboard. Yep. So um, yeah, so one of our senior monks, his dad just passed away last year, 
So he can't make it to join us at, at, at Newbury Monastery. So now at the moment, he's taking care of his mum. So he did went and stay with his mum for like a few months, uh, taking care of things uh, and getting things sorted out. Uh, um, getting the wheels sorted out. Uh. So I think the most important thing he can do is just being kind to his mum. But for a Buddhist practitioner, uh, we find that we what we recommend to our supporters, just be kind. Be kind to the sickness. Make peace with the sickness. Because when we make peace with the sickness, regardless if it's a seizure, a sickness or a cancer, then um, things do improve a bit. Because one thing we find that the medication class in the next to the hospital in Perth, those patients that come in to do the medication class, if they do the class, they tend to cope well with the sickness. And if they do pass away, they pass away quite peacefully. But in many cases, those who have the sickness or the cancer, they do learn to live with it. In many cases, we have people that have cancer. They're not meant to be alive. And they actually manage to live a few more years longer. And some actually live still alive. So we do know of a late supporter. There's a good supporter of Dhammasara Monastery. Um, she he was diagnosed with uh, cancer uh, all over the body, uh, and he was not meant to uh, uh, live long. Uh, but that was since ten years ago, uh, and he's still alive. Uh, so if we make peace with the sickness, uh, make peace with ourselves, uh, then we can learn to cope with the condition. Uh, yeah, because when we make peace with everything, our body become quite strong. I hope that that's a good 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 um, um, answer. Thank you, Bandai. The next question, can you reflect a bit on the Namotasa and explain it? Thank you from Florida. Okay, Namotasa. Okay. <clears throat> so I can leave it, read it in English. So what it means in Namotasa three times is homage to the blessed one, the worldly one, the, the we say the, the right one or the fully, fully enlightened one. So basically, we reflect on um, paying respect to to the Lord Buddha um, because he's um, practiced well and um, fully enlightened, and one is worthy of respect, honor, and um, um, I can't remember another word um, of of respect and, uh, and and support, yeah. Uh, there is, because my um my Pali is not that good, le, but I think actually Bamali did did um um explain about it le. um maybe you can ask um Bante Sunyola next time he give a talk uh, because he is a is is a Pali expert le, and uh, he does study the suttas quite quite in detail le. so it might it, it might give more more meaning to it le. yeah but what it means in English uh, is homage to Homage to him, the blessed one, and the worldly one, and the, the one that's fully enlightened. Okay. Thank you, Bande. The next question is overindulgence in addictive food, drinks like coffee or tea, breaking the fifth precept if they affect your mental and physical well being? Um. Mm. I think with um food is fine because um 
with food, like, you should see how much food we get in uh, Bodhiyana Monastery. During the weekend, uh, we get up to about maybe 100 di- di- dishes. And some of the food is incredible. Like, I told my mom, I haven't eaten so well before like, as, a, as a lay person uh, compared to as a, as a monastic. Uh, I mean, some of the food we have in Bodhiyana Monastery is incredible. Like, even in lockdown, uh, uh, we have delivery service uh, and the food is still uh, quite really incredible like we get different dishes from all over the world uh, like i mean all like the all different dishes from people um different style of dishes from all over the world uh, that people cook uh, japanese thai sri lankan western italian um yeah and sometimes we get steaks sometimes we get lobsters um, sometimes we get uh, durians. I like durians, so sometimes it's nice to have it. We get fast food, we get burgers, and um, the monks really eat well. Uh, and I mean, as a layperson, uh, I really enjoy food. Uh, as a monastic, I really enjoy food too. Uh, and a lot of the senior monks also enjoy enjoy food. Uh, and um, it's fine. It, it never really affected my meditation. Um, if I overeat, then uh, I find that if I I might get a bit. Um, too sleepy in the afternoon to um to 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 calm the mind down. So yeah, so if you do enjoy food, it's fine. For monastic, it's not it's not a, a big problem because um, we have maybe one meal a day. Um, I normally eat one meal a day, but if work, I have breakfast. So I need extra energy. So I I find it's not a problem enjoying food because for monastic, we don't eat after twelve o'clock or midday. And um, I know a lot of the senior monks uh, and monks myself uh, really enjoy food, uh, but it's not a problem. So whatever they people offer, uh, we're just happy to take it. Uh, and as long as we don't go out demanding for, for food, uh, it's okay. Yes. And the fifth precept uh, with um, drugs and alcohol. Uh, um, with drugs, best to, to, to avoid uh, and keep away from it uh, because I've seen a lot of harm. With friends that are not Buddhists, uh, just indulging too much with uh, legal drugs uh, because it does do a lot of harm. But if there's benefit taking um, medical um, chemit- um, medical um, chemit- um, drugs, uh, like chemitus, uh, what, what they call um, uh, description marijuana drugs, uh, so that is fine. Because that, that's basically described for people that have cancer or very sick. Because there is a lot of benefit uh, for people that that take um med- medical did de- de- um describe cameras uh, Because sometimes when people are in a lot of pain, so they, they need to get marijuana or what they call the slang word is, is ganja. Uh, that's described by the doc- doctors, and that is fine uh, because sometimes. When you take those things like that, as described by the doctors, there's a lot of benef- benefit from it. Uh. So uh, anything you do that with, with medicine-wise, uh, should, that should be fine. Uh, and that should be up to the, the doctors and the individual uh, to um, to seek for advice from the doctors. For the, for the monastic, uh, we, we, don't, we, don't, we don't recommend it, people taking drugs, uh, except for if it's a medicine. Uh, Described from the doctor, mm. yep. So that's that's the uh, Buddha, uh, Buddhist point of view le, on um, on 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 the fifth precept. Le. In terms of alcohol, le, 
best not to take it uh, because when you take a little bit of alcohol, uh, it, it can always lead to more and more. Uh, and when you look at um, a lot of problems uh, in the world, uh, um, fights, arguments, uh, and accident, uh, is it always sometimes most of it leads to um, just just taking too many, drinking too much. Thank you, Bundy. The next question: Did you get angry with your parents when they when you find out that they did not intend you to allow to ordain? Um, I mean, I I did got a little, a little bit annoyed, but I, I think I was glad glad that that they stopped me from um ordaining because at that time I was pretty naive. I mean, I was getting good meditation. I thought I would ordain and um. Really go for it, uh, and um, <clears throat> get the result, the fruits, uh, and meditation quickly. Yeah, but now I realize ordaining is a monastic. That was a really stupid thinking, <laughs> um, because as a layperson, uh, I really struggled five years uh, trying to get result in the in my meditation practice, because I practice. Um, I to cut the story short. Um. I start reading too much, too much books and asking too much questions from too many monks. The more I ask, the more the harder I try, the more doubts arise in my practice, and the more I really suffer. Into the point I got, I got a headache. Instead of doing samadhi, I was doing getting trying to gain something in my in my practice in my in my meditation practice. It's only after five years I decide to basically let it go. And I give up practicing meditation, and I basically just relax and let go. Then I find the meditation start to do very well, and I was getting good, good meditation after five years as a layperson. I go, ah,、uh-huh, this is really good. I say, okay, I wait for five years, and I ask my parents if I can ordain. So that was good, good learning experience, because um, when you're young, you're always very eager to ordain and practice. Luckily, my parents say no, so I continue to practice as a layperson. But sometimes I find that a lot of monks are ordained quite young, in robe. They haven't、um, experienced a lot in life, and sometimes the sad thing is, a lot of them ordained this robe quite early in life, like within five or ten years. So having a bit more life experience, as as after ten years. It did help me a lot. Become more more mature and a bit more relaxed, and also I able to、um, basically help to、um, pay off my pay off my、um, my parents' debt and pay off the house. Thank you. Thank you. The next question: I'm new to this teaching and would like your view on if a person constantly argues with everything you say, how do you stop feeling so hurt? Can living, practicing, demonstrating kindness be perceived by some as weakness, and、um, why? It's always good. This is this is always a hard thing. Yeah, even even myself, I, I find it very difficult as a layperson at work. But basically, once I become a supervisor, then it was easier. I was in charge of the workshop. Um, but also, I I do have to argue with with the customers too. So sometimes I tell the customer, look, I only try my best. But if they don't like the the work or the service or the bill, please feel free to go somewhere else. <laughs>、uh, 
Um, but sometimes it's funny. Sometimes you go somewhere else in the company, you turn around and say that I do revive, revive a good service when I was working as a mechanic and also running my business as a lay person. So being a, um, a Buddhist practitioner, um, you, you tend to be more, very trustful that we work. So we, we try not to boast too much with work and say we try our best. Yep. So, um, so I was quite a, um, I wasn't the best mechanic. I, I did things quite fairly and with with um, respect and kindness to our customers. And because of that, like, we, we earned a lot of trust, trust from our, our customers. But as a monastic when I ordained, um, in the Sangha, especially living with 20 to 30 men, it, it can be quite con- competitive. So when you have a, that many men in the in the in the sangha, monks and lay people, uh, it can it monks and lay people we can rust rubbing against one another. So it's really great for the practice. So sometimes a lot of the the, the sangha members, especially the young one, they have a lot this this testosterone, and they have to um, vent it out in in work. Or in argument, uh, argument state sake. So as a practicing um, monk now, sometimes for me, I just oh, if they want to work hard, go for it. If they want to take a lot of project, go for it. If they want to always win an argument, okay, that's a business. I just keep quiet and just walk away because that. But I find that there's always a lot of um, nice Buddhist practitioner, lay or monastic. You see, I I always remember what. My teacher told me, yeah, associate with, with, with the wise and, and the good. So I always choose to hang around with good, kind uh, Buddhist monks uh, that have good practice. Uh, so that can be with Ajahn Brown um, and my, my other Buddhist friends. Uh, and those that want to uh, very, very competitive, they always argue a lot. Uh, it's basically, I just keep away from them. If they want to win, they win. Because even if you're ordained, people are still human beings. Yes. So it's a hard one. I do have to give tea, but these days I just learn to let go and let people be <laughs> and just live a peaceful life. Okay. Thank you. The next question. How do you become kind, even though you don't feel kind? Ah, oh, okay. Okay. If you do do it, please do it for yourself. Yep. That's why Ajahn Chah once said, yeah, you should look at other people uh, 5% of the time. You look at yourself uh, 95% of your time. Ajahn Chah once said, he gave a simile. One time he went into the forest. It was quite peaceful and he was getting good meditation. And when he went out from the forest and went for the park, went to the city, he heard a lot of noise. And the lay people was just basically making lay noise and um, yeah, playing loud music and stuff. And he got really annoyed and upset of, of the noise. Then he reflected on the noise and said, oh, is the noise disturbing him? He said, no, he's disturbing the noise. So, um, yeah, so he says, his mind, he reflected not to um, disturb the noise. So basically not to allow the noise to disturb your heart and your mind. 
So even if you feel angry or upset or irritated, um, sometimes we, we just have to um, go into peace and calmness. Like for myself, if sometimes if if there's too many argument with um with lay lay people or monastic, then sometimes the matter might not work. One day I, in the monastery is funny. Um, four people, four monastic uh, argue, pick up, pick up, start picking on me for no reason. Uh, one monk say that, oh, if you come over, don't just be nice to me and give me drinks and stuff. Just leave me alone. I go, oh, okay, no worries. I just walk away from that person. Then another monk came up to me and say, oh, so you changed the talk, the type of your talk. You didn't like my talk. I say, well, um, yeah, I just decided to change the talk uh, because um, I feel like the talk is the title of the talk is not it's not it's not proper, and as I decided to change the title of the talk better, so that that monastics are arguing with me. Then um, yeah, then, then I got another phone call uh, from another another monastic uh, saying another brass monastery. Uh, then you will start arguing about all the problem that's happening in the monastery. Uh, and the tractor was broken down, and I did a, 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 a excuse my language, a shit job on the, on the tractor. I was going, oh man, this monastic, he, 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 he drives so roughly yeah, with the monastery vehicle. When things break down, he, he can't blame me for the, for the, for the problem with the vehicle. Ah, oh, jeez. Ah, oh, yep. Yeah, so it's, it's quite difficult. Yep. Sometimes on that day, I think four different monks start picking on me and arguing with me. And sometimes if I carry it in my heart, then it is a bit hard to have a peaceful state of mind. Sometimes the best thing we do is we just practice love, um, letting go meditation. If we, if we can't practice loving kindness, we practice, we practice letting go meditation. We let things go and we make peace with ourselves. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. And the last question. Uh, this person said, Dear Bundy, nice to see you in MBM. Thank you. Can you please explain a bit how to drop the body during meditation? Thank you. Oh, okay. Okay. The dropping body is quite important. It's also something I practice in the beginning. Um, that's why when you listen to my um, guided meditation, um, I do not go straight into the, the breath straight away. I always do a body scanning first. So when you do a body scanning, you learn to relax the, the part of your body. You start from your head, we relax your, your head, we make peace with it, then we start with our upper body, our arms, our tummy, to our legs, then back all the way up again. So when we do a body scanning, we learn to relax this body. And we learn to um, make peace with the pain, with the ache of the body. Then we let it go. And then once the body becomes very relaxed, then we go to our breath meditation. So when we go to our breath meditation, as the body becomes relaxed and calm, then as the mind becomes more calm and peaceful, then as our thoughts become less, then as, as the mind becomes more calm and relaxed, then the body becomes more relaxed and more calm. And once that happened, in some cases, when the body is not moving, then the the body will slowly fade away and disappear. 
So when the mind becomes very relaxed and peaceful, then then you really then you sometimes you notice, hey, where's the body? I can't feel the body. I can't feel my back. I can't feel my leg. I can't feel my my arms. It's like the body disappear and went to sleep. It's only when you bring awareness to the part of your body, then you feel the body sensation arise. But if you relax and calm the mind, then it will disappear. So that's how you learn to let go of the body. Mm. Yes. That's all the questions. Okay. Thank you. Um, no, if there's no more questions, um, I did during the Dharma talk. I did say I'll go back to the um, the dreaming, the dreaming, the dreaming state as a monastic. The dreaming is quite interesting. As a monastic, the more you practice meditation, what will happen is meditation become a natural part. It becomes automatic. Then um, mindfulness will also become natural as samadhi deepen. So it becomes act, um, um, a almost automatic process. Meditation, mindfulness, and letting go. And when that happens, um, meditation will slowly go into um, in, into into the dream state. So. I've met a lot of um, monks and lay people that told me that when they uh, did a lot of meditation and when the meditation was doing well, they have very interesting dreams too. So things like flying is quite normal, but also they they start dreaming about meditation. So Ashim Brown always say that sometimes when he gave a Dharma talk, he he, he starts dreaming about meditation in his dream too. So that's also quite interesting. And um, sometimes, even myself, uh, when I was doing a lot of meditation, I started dreaming about meditation too. Uh, so I was like dreaming that I was, I was meditating in my dreams. So that was quite interesting. Uh, it's very nice meditation too. Um, but also, one of the monks uh, in the monastery uh, that I know, uh, they were saying that um, he, when he was dreaming, he was dreaming that he was um, in his dream, he was up in the mountain. Walking up to the mountain, somewhere maybe in Asia, he saw he walking up to a a monastery up the mountain, and he went up to a a Dhamma hall, and he went to the Dhamma hall, and he saw a Buddha Buddha statue, Buddha Rupa, like something like this, and he saw the Buddha Buddha statue or Buddha Rupa, a ray of of light coming from it, bright light, bright white and blue light. It's going wow! That Buddha Rupa is just got ray of light coming out from it. Then he, he noticed from his within his his neck that he was wearing a, an amulet of a Buddha Rupa, and there's bright, pure, pure, bright, white, radiant light coming from the from the Buddha Rupa. The amulet is is wearing his neck, so he picked up the amulet and look at this um white, radiant, bright light. Yeah. So more he look at it. He was drawn into the bright, pure white light, yeah. and suddenly he, he woke up uh, from his dream, uh, and his, 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 he woke up with with his mind uh, completely bright, radiant, uh, pure, uh, joy, happy, happy, calm mind, and that was basically the the meditation went from from um, from meditation when he, even when he was dreaming, uh, he was dreaming of, of of radiant bright light. So I woke up with a lot of happiness, 
peace and calm. So yeah, so that's one thing. One one thing I heard from one of the monastic in Boniyana Monastery. So we do have rules on that monastic. So we don't mention. We just mention what he experienced. Yeah. So yeah. So if you do practice a lot of loving kindness, and so you see the result will happen. You just the meditation would will, will naturally becomes natural part of, of dreaming state, and that normally happened. Um, yeah, when you do on on a two weeks meditation silent retreat or during the wassala. So when I came here, I was hoping oh there might be a lockdown, so we we can we, I can go for a quarantine, but we just arrived before lockdown happened, so we then went to quarantine. Okay. Okay, thank you, Le. Thank you for attending this Dharma talk. So um, tomorrow, Monday night at 7.30, Bhante Sunyola will be conducting the garden meditation. Okay, so thank you for um, attending this Dharma class. And Bhante Chunda, would you like to talk about the Ajahn Brahm's 70th birthday? <laughs> oh, okay. Okay, so it's, um, the details is online. So I haven't looked through the detail yet like, because I was preparing to come through here. Like. So um, Ajahn Brown will be celebrating his birthday, um, 70, 70 birthday party in Janago Retreat Center. Like. So there will be, um, I think there will be a documentary on Ajahn Brown's life. Like. And also Ajahn Brown is, is raising funds like, um, for the Newbury Buddhist Monastery project like, in um, in in up, up in the monastery yeah. so um yeah so Ajima, hopefully he, he can raise funds so be, raise funds for his birthday party yeah. and to be to build a monastery to build a retreat center here yeah. basically for the benefit and happiness for the monks for the nuns especially for the lay people yeah. because the lay people don't have a place especially in victoria yeah. so if we do manage to do care retreat center builder yeah, then the fourfold community will be fully established. So the monks will have their own place where they can stay and practice, um, basically with, with, with their own group. And it will be very nice for the nuns to have their own place uh, where only the nuns to stay and practice. And all the lay people uh, will, will have, have their own uh, lay center uh, where they can stay and practice. Um, in, in their own group because the setup in um, Bodhiyana Monastery is nicer we have the monks monastery then Dhammasari have their nuns monastery and the lay people have their own retreat center where they can stay and manage and practice so the monastic the, the monks and nuns will come over to the lay center on this build have their arms rounds then go back to their, their own um, monastery to um, to eat and, and, and also to practice and have a quiet time. Because when that happens, it will enhance the, the precept, the meditation and the wisdom of all, all monastic. Because when you have monastic monks and nuns and people making, mixing together, it, it tends not to, um, um, it's not the best support for, um, for, for the Sangha. But you have monks, nuns and lay people have their own place. Then the monks and nuns, and the lay people uh, will, will benefit a lot uh, because especially the monks, uh, we'll, we, can, we can keep our precept well and, um, and the lay people basically have their own place. Uh, so we can be monks as monks and nuns can be nuns and nuns. Uh, and the lay people have their own place uh, where they can basically uh, manage their place uh, and also practice well. Uh, 
So it'll be very exciting in the next two years uh, once the lace center is built. Uh. But um, I don't know all the detail. Please look, look online uh, to, to find more these uh, details. Uh. Yes, it's Arjun Brown 70th.org. Yes. Yes, thank you. Okay, thank you. Uh. So um, have a good evening. No, good afternoon, good evening, and good day. Please be careful, uh, and uh, stay, 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 stay at home uh, with families. Uh. The more we can mix, mix and uh, mix and mingle with other people outside, uh, the more we can safe, safeguard ourselves. Uh. Because when you keep the five precept, and when you stay at home, uh, you're basically protecting yourself and protect, protecting other people. Uh. Okay, thank you.